1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode with a great, great guest. But before I get to him, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, Teamwork and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I really have been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who continue to support the show and have already gone over to iTunes and written us a review let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Jesse Cole is the founder of Fans First Entertainment and is the owner of the Savannah Bananas. And this conversation is interesting. It's fascinating. We get into Jesse's background and his upbringing a little bit, but you're going to tell that Jesse really enjoys talking about leadership and culture and what it takes to build something special. And what he's built with the Savannah Bananas is just that. It's very unique. And what he's building is really, really interesting. So his teams have welcomed more than one million fans to their ballparks, and have been featured on MSNBC, CNN, ESPN, and Entrepreneur Magazine. Actually, in this conversation, Jesse's going to talk about ESPN doing a feature on what they're building at Savannah. And the Bananas have been awarded Organization of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Business of the Year, and won the CPL Championship, which they did in their first year. So he is quick to point out that while they emphasize fun and entertainment at their baseball games, they also win which is really cool to see that fun and winning can really be synonymous and and honestly should be. The Savannah Bananas currently have sold out every game since their first season and have a waiting list in the thousands of tickets. In addition to that, Jesse's going to talk about the wait list that they have for players that want to come play for them and for employees at a time when people are leaving companies in droves. Jesse points out that they are willing and able and wanting To Come work for his organization he released his first book find your yellow tux how to be successful by standing out in January of 2018 with a world book tour at Epcot so he is a unique guy and you're not gonna be able to see him in today's conversation but he wears a yellow tux and a yellow hat every single day. Jesse has been featured on over 500 podcasts and is an in-demand keynote speaker all over the country sharing his fans' first experience on how to stand out, be different, and create raving fans of both customers and employees. So Jesse is someone who you're going to love to learn from. As I said, this is an interesting, it's a unique conversation because I think I challenged Jesse in some ways that he's not typically challenged. I had him go into some places that he doesn't typically talk about, but he was game and willing and transparent as we had a really intentional conversation about how he sets his mind, not just for himself, but also for his organization. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you, Jesse Cole. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am fascinated by what you've built, and I think I'm even more fascinated, fascinated with what you're building with the Savannah Bananas and, and how you think about marketing. So, so today is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, where I wanted to start with you is around 12-year-old Jesse. When you were 12 years old, what were you planning to do? What were you thinking you were going to do with your life?
0: Oh, I was going to play for the Red Sox. There was no doubt about it, and uh, excited to be with you. But yeah, I was—I grew up south of Boston, and uh, you know, baseball was everything for me. My dad had bought a baseball facility. My parents were divorced, and my dad—that's what one big bond we had. We played every day, and I was having the time of my life. Uh, my dad built in a mindset. We were this little tiny town in Scituate, Mass, with only six thousand people, and we got T-shirts made, and it said "Williamsport Team," and so he convinced us, our little league team, that we were going to go to the Little League World Series in Plain Williamsport. And we went all the way to the state finals. And we had an injury to our number two pitcher that prevented us from moving on. But we were only four games away from the Little League World Series. And so as a 12-year-old kid, it was playing Major League Baseball and then uh, in the immediate future playing in the Little League World Series.
1: When did the dream get crushed that you weren't going to play professional baseball?
0: Oh, Oh, you're right. It did get crushed. Uh, I was, I was a senior in college, so I was able to get a full scholarship. Uh, I was talking to pro teams, letters from the Padres and the Mets and the pirates. And then I tore my shoulder just like that, uh, rotator cuff and the labrum and that ended my career, my senior year.
1: How'd you handle that?
0: Emotionally. So it was, I, I was actually filming a documentary at the time for my capstone project for my senior year. So as soon as I found out that I would never play again, I turned the camera on myself. And I still had that video footage of me looking at a camera and realizing that the game that I played since I was three years old, I would never play again. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I remember referencing my dad on that video clip. I said, my dad always tells me to stay positive and things happen for a reason. I just don't know what that reason is right now.
1: Filming, were you always interested in documenting and and filming or did that come in college?
0: No, high school, we had a class public speaking. And I convinced the teacher to let us create movies instead of speak. So I don't want to be a public speaker, which is ironic because now I speak all over the country, but uh, I didn't want to do that. And iMovie had just come out and we thought we could make movies. So I, I, and a few of my friends convinced the teacher to let us do movies. And that's when we fell, fell in love with creating storytelling and movie making. So that happened in high school, did a little bit in college and then convinced my entire, uh, my advisors that I didn't like any of the majors at Wofford and I didn't want to major in anything they offered me. So I created my own major leadership and I convinced them to let me do a documentary film as my capstone project.
1: You mentioned dad saying, stay positive. What were some other values that he passed down or any other family members that had a big influence on you as a kid?
0: Swing hard in case you hit it. So when I was a kid, my dad said that to every time I came up to the bat, swing hard in case you hit it. And positivity has been number one with my dad. So he was unbelievably positive, Uh, hard work. He would work all day Um, and my my parents divorced. I was by myself. And so, but my dad would work until six o'clock, take me to the field, help me with homework, then leave very early in the morning and then do the same thing over and over again. He was the only one raising me. So I I learned more from my dad, not necessarily telling me certain things, but watching how he handled things. He stayed positive. He worked his butt off. And he was always doing whatever he could for me and, 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 you know, our household.
1: And mom wasn't in the picture.
0: No, no, no. She was very rarely in the picture.
1: And how did that impact you and influence you?
0: Uh, You know, it was tough. You know, the reality is I didn't know my mother that well. Yeah. Whenever I talked to her, she would tell me how much she loved me. And my dad never said the word love. So I didn't really have a good grasp on what love was as a kid. Um, and then my dad got married and uh, Diane became my stepmother. And obviously having a new person as a uh, you know person in charge was a challenge. But, you know, again, it's why me and my dad have such a great bond.
1: And Jesse, do you have kids?
0: I have three. Well, one biological son and two foster kids.
1: And what's it like being a dad? <laughs>
0: you are going here, Ed. All right, this is good. It's... It's amazing. I mean, how do you not give the, the fluffy answer? I mean, the reality is every day I see things for my kids that blows me away. You know, they say, what is it? Kids laugh and smile 300 times a day versus adults who laugh five times a day. My kids wake up laughing. They wake up ready to hug me and go play. They want to play all the time. Uh, it's it's amazing to see the things that they see, they learn, how they react to things, the things that you didn't know they knew they knew. So Um, I get a tremendous amount of love and appreciation from seeing them grow up and they're all young, they're all uh, Maverick's about to turn four, my foster daughter's got to turn four this summer and then I have a baby foster daughter who's going to be five months uh, next week.
1: That's awesome. And you're, you're someone you said hard work dad instilled that in you. Uh, it seems like you rip and run pretty good. Um, you, you said before we even started recording, hey, I've done a th- over a thousand podcasts, you're a speaker, you're running a business. Um, how do you integrate your, your children into your work life? I, I know a lot of people, when they're ripping and running and, and trying to do big things, it's a big challenge to try to figure out, hey, how do I be present for my family? I know I've got two small kids. Uh, it's a challenge. How, how do you manage sort of the responsibilities of fatherhood with responsibilities of being a CEO? Well,
0: I departmentalize a lot. So the reality is I get up at 4.35 in the morning. I go for my run. I write my thank you letter. I do my 10 ideas every morning. I write in my journal and I get my work done for about an hour and a half to two hours before the kids get up. Then from seven to eight to 8.30, I take care of them before I send them off to daycare and school then I work. And then I make sure I do things all day that give me energy. So when I come down from work at five o'clock, I have energy to be with them. And I personally look for things to do with them that I enjoy. I'm not a puzzle guy. I do not like puzzles. I am not a big guy into playing with trucks and just rolling them back and forth. That does not excite me. However, I enjoy enjoy drawing with Maverick and the kids and having them draw pictures. I love going outside and and obviously uh, playing catch and you know, throwing the balls to them and doing things. I love taking them playground, trampoline park. I'm an activity guy. So I find things that I can do activities with them. You know, I have rituals. Every Sunday morning, I take Maverick to breakfast. We've done it since he was one years old. So I really look at those departmentalizing things that I can do and say, hey, this is my time with the kids. And I'll be all in on that. And then do they be involved? Are they involved in our shows? The bananas, 100%. They're traveling with us on our tour which is crazy to have kids travel on your tour. I mean, they're going to Kansas City with us. They're going to Birmingham with us. They're going to Columbus with us. They are traveling. When I speak, they sometimes they come with uh, my wife. We have an au pair that helps us with all this. So you know, I want them to be uh, cultured and to see that there's so much more out there than just our little town.
1: Do you envision them being in the business one day?
0: That's up to them. Uh, that's 100% up to them. Do I believe that this is uh, will be a family business? Yeah, I want the bananas to be around in 500 years. I, I, it was a very sad day for me that the circus finished out in 146 years. That's too short for me. And so I do think in the long term, the reality is, you know, oh, do you want your son to play for the bananas? Maybe he wants to play in the banana band. You know, my daughter wants to be like Princess Potassia, you know, our princess at our games, whatever they find. My son loves music. Awesome. I love that. I wish I would have done more music. So, you know, you don't push them into things, but you have them in the opportunities. And I think when they see the fact that this is impacting millions of people from when it only impacted a handful, I think they may be inspired uh, to be a part of it. And if that, great. But, you know, I, I, I follow the McMahons a lot, Vince McMahon, and obviously Stephanie uh, became a big part of the business and Shane became a part of the business. It's because it's all they ever knew. They wanted to keep the history and the legacy of, of the, the family. And I think that would be great.
1: Why entertainment? So you're drawn to WWE and and entertainment there. And then um, for people that aren't gonna be able to see you, you're wearing a yellow tux, which we'll talk about as far as uh, standing out and why that matters to you. But what's the draw to entertainment? You even talked about the film and, and sort of documenting yourself in a public speaking course. What's the draw to entertainment for you?
0: The definition of entertain is to provide enjoyment and to provide amusement. And I think no matter what, we are hungry for entertainment, we're hungry for fun. And so I was originally just solving a problem when I first, 23 years old, became a GM of a baseball team that was failing with only $268 in the bank account, 200 fans coming to the games, and the team had lost over $150,000 a year. I knew we couldn't be the best baseball team. So I said, what could we do that would get people excited? And I said, well, everyone wants entertainment. And for me, I think the best creators often are just creating something for themselves. As crazy as that sounds, George Lucas wanted to create a movie that he wanted to watch. Walt Disney as he sat on his par- uh, sat on a park bench watching his two daughters go on the carousel at Griffith Park, he said, "Man, I wish there was a place that adults and kids could have fun. I'm just trying to create something where Baseball has become long, slow, and boring to too many people, creating something that's outrageously entertaining. And I want to make sure if I ever get bored, I know other people are getting bored. So I'm hungry to use this platform to entertain millions with something they've never seen before.
1: It's so interesting as you're talking. I'm thinking about this podcast, and it's broad. I I interview all kinds of different people, all, Mm -hmm. all different walks of life. And so it's not a sales podcast, it's not a marketing podcast. Uh, it's not a sports podcast. It's it's broader than that. And from a marketing lens, others might be critical of that. They might say you need to find your niche and go deep into that niche um, if you want to be successful. For you, you well, I want to stop lot- you for there. I want to stop yeah. you for there.
0: I, I want to stop you. What's the definition of success? So to be successful, so success is happiness. You know, success to me is happiness and freedom and fulfillment. The ability to do what you want, when you want, and to give you purpose. And so if you have that, who, who cares if it's hitting a niche or not? Do I know that with the bananas, we've hit a, a unique niche that no one's doing that right now? hundred percent, but I'm mostly just doing something I love and that gives me energy and that I, I enjoy. And that fortunately comes together, that intersection of doing something no one else is doing.
1: Yeah. For me, I actually shifted my definition of success from happiness to feeling alive. And yeah. the shift for me, at least, is because there's going to be days of unhappiness, um, funerals, hardships. It's just part of living. Yeah. Um, but feeling alive, I actually think it's important to go to a funeral. I think it's important yeah. to feel sadness. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I've gone into what is success for the podcast. I feel alive when I have these conversations. And that's why I continue to do it. Um, but you mentioned, you mentioned marketing um, and sort of you all have hit on a niche. Why do you think the Savannah Bananas have gotten the popularity that they've gotten nationally? You talk about taking the show on the road. What do you think has allowed for, for you all to be successful? <laughs>
0: it's a loaded question. Uh, if you simplify, it's, we're very cl- clear on who we are and who we are not for and what we stand for. And it's that clarity, that simplicity that drives everything. When we first came to Savannah, we sold a handful of tickets. My wife and I had to sell our house and empty out our savings account. and We were sleeping on an airbed only six years ago with only a few dollars to our name. No one knew who we were. We weren't clear on who we were and who we were not for. And then we became very specific and said, you know, we make baseball fun. That's why we exist. And how we do it is fans first, entertain always. And every decision we make, we ask ourselves, is it fans first? We talk about it over and over again. Most companies, most sports teams have conversations on how to drive sales, drive revenue, drive quarterly profits. All our conversations are how do we create fans first moments? How do we create things people have never seen before in a baseball field? And so once we got specific, then all of a sudden we just start doing and experimenting. I'm in a yellow tuxedo. I give permission to everyone on our staff to have fun. I'm here right now, recording this. I'm in our costume closet, where there's literally hundreds of costumes that people wear at our ballpark. We just had tryouts for our Banana Ball World Tour. Half the guys are in costumes, showing up to try out in full costumes. Some people shirtless, some people in Peter Pan costumes, and Tigger costumes, and banana costumes. One guy dressed up like he's a professional bronco rider. He was dressed up like he was about to go ride a bronco. It was bizarre. But we attract those people because we continue to yell on top of the mountains who we are and what we stand for. So I don't even talk about marketing. We're just talking about sharing what we do that's different. And I think most companies, most sports teams, they're not clear on that. And they're also not clear on what makes them different. If you go to our About Us page, you can see all the things that we do that's different. Most companies, they say, I'm a little faster than this. I'm a little better than this. Oh, I do this, kind of like this, and kind of like this. What are you the only one doing? And fortunately, we've been able to find a lot of things that we're the only one doing.
1: It's interesting because you grew up in a city and and watching a team where they've got this green monster and the stadium is very different at Fenway Park with the Boston Red Sox. Where do you think we went into sports becoming so serious? Uh, I live in Washington, D.C. About the same time you took over the Savannah Bananas, Bryce Harper famously said, make baseball fun again. Um, so where did we sort of go into this place where sports became a place where you weren't allowed to smile and you had to be, um, really serious, not just on the field, but just with all elements of it,
0: money, I think money changes a lot of things. I think guys, the game became more corporate, you know, it used to be a spring training. There were no barriers, you know, the players would be in the crowd a great documentary by HBO sports, she's 30 years ago when it was a game and it showed the, the fans giving the players brownies and cookies and the interaction. And then it became corporate became a $10 billion plus a year. And unfortunately, you know, everybody's looking at it as protecting your assets. You Can't let the players do this. You can't let this do this. You can't do this. We can't do this. We're making pay this. And all of a sudden it became not the kid's game anymore. And I don't think that's what it was built on. So I don't think it was anything went wrong. It just became corporate game that was focused on money. And then it became focused on statistics, analytics, data, matchups. Let the kids play. You know, Bill Lee, the spaceman, showed up at our tryouts. He's 75 years old, pitched in the 75 World Series, Red Sox Hall of Famer. And he said, this is the most fun I've ever seen people playing baseball. He's played all over the world for 60 plus years. And so I think that we've been early to narrow down on that, where baseball is still focused on the dollar and focused on every single statistic to help a team improve to win. We're not focused on winning. We're focused on having fun. And what happens is when you focus on having fun, the wins take care of themselves. We've won more games than any team in our league over the last six years, won two championships, go to the playoffs every single year. We don't focus on the baseball. We focus on the fun and the atmosphere.
1: If you were able to purchase the Red Sox tomorrow, what would you do?
0: I'd say no. Actually, if if I was handed the Red Sox tomorrow, I'd say no. And I I mean that sincerely. If someone said, Jesse, you are now the owner of the Red Sox. You're the president of the Red Sox. You run the Red Sox. I'd say no. Do you know why?
1: I have no idea.
0: Red tape. The reality is everything that I'd want to do, I'd be told I can't do it. Commissioner's office, players' union, I love the freedom that we have, that we can come up with ideas and have a player come up to bat on stilts. We can literally have our players after they score a run, celebrate through the entire crowd, high-fiving every single fan. We can have a breakdancing base coach in the middle of the game. We can do things with different rules, like if fans catch a foul ball, it's an out in our banana ball games. You can't do that in Major League Baseball. So I've been asked about, you know, jokingly, if I guess about the commissioner and all that stuff. I'm, I have zero interest, as crazy as that sounds.
1: You have an intensity to you, which is interesting because you are wearing a yellow tux and you are talking about fun. Do we get intensity and fun wrong that we can't be intense or driven and fun? Do we think that that has to be serious in order to be intense? I got to be honest, Jesse, I've done 270 of these interviews. You're one of the most intense people I've interviewed. <laughs> I'm, have, I'm, I'm dead know, true serious. Story. About
0: that. True story. Yeah. I've never been called intense.
1: Yeah. This isn't, this is like, we're 15, 20 minutes in. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm catching you on a day where you're more, but yeah, I, I I think you have an intensity to you. You have a, I
0: have a conviction. It's a belief. It's a conviction and a belief. And when you believe so much in something and you're, you have conviction and confidence in it, I think that's intense. You know, I, I, I laugh when people say they're intimidated to present something to me or intimidated to share something with me. You know, they share everything, all our social media right before this, we were about to put out a video and it just didn't hit what we needed to do. We had to completely pivot everything we're doing and change it. And uh I'm very, very adamant on who we are and who we are not for. And I in it. But, you know, if you ask anybody on the staff, they, they describe Jesse as I've heard this before. And I don't like this one as much, but uh well, I won't go that one. The one the one that they say is uh, a cup one of was coffee. That? Which one well, was, that it was like, it, it's like, it's like, it's like cocaine. Jesse's just running around from thing to thing to thing. The other one was uh, uh, coffee has a cup of Jesse before it gets up in the morning. So I like that one a little bit better, but I uh, think cocaine, but yes, I mean, I, I, I run around, I have a lot of energy and I love it. And, but they would say I'm laughing all day and, and joking, but yeah, this got into, you started a tone uh, interesting into a serious tone going back to where it was. And sometimes you, as you know, with psychology, you match the tone of the interview. And so I've matched the seriousness of this interview.
1: Yeah. Maybe it's interesting. Cause I I've done that with others. I think I'll be transparent. Like the reason I went there was because when someone says, yeah, I've done a thousand of these, like to me, it's like, all right, well, let's, let's try to make it <laughs> a little different. Right. Like I, as much as I'm sure you do a great job with your public speaking stuff, like I can get all that online and yeah, I'm, I'm curious to really get to know who you are. And yeah, I use that word curious because I know for me, I grew up in a house where conviction was welcome. Speak your mind. I wasn't in a yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am house. So I've got two brothers and the three of us are very opinionated. Um, My dad was an entrepreneur. He is a dreamer. We'll talk about dreams because I think you clearly are someone who values dreaming and visioning, but curiosity. I have found that there are times when I am convicted that I actually lack curiosity because I'm so convicted on the thing mm. that I don't always take enough time to be curious about what other possibilities exist for yeah. you. How do you blend your convictions with curiosity?
0: So I have hundred percent belief in who we are, and what we stand for. I'm 1000% curious on how to do it differently, to grow, to learn from others. Emily laughs at me, my wife, because I'm never in in less than four books at a time. So I'm reading five to six books at a time. And so I have them in different places throughout the house. So where I go and then at the office that I'm constantly in. like I'm literally reading about SNL, uh, WWE, uh, Tinderbox on HBO, Skip the Line by James Altucher. And I'm going back to, uh, there's a customer born every minute, PT Barnum, because I'm working that with our staff. Those are the five I'm in right now. And I'm constantly going through them. So the curiosity is, outrageous. And I had to be like that because when I first started, we were I I didn't pay myself the first three months on the job when I was 23 years old. So imagine getting a job out of college or a GM of a team and you can't pay yourself till till it was December. So it was three months since I started. And then when we started in Savannah, we went bankrupt and had to sell our house. And so the only thing that gets me out of that is the curiosity and the hunger to grow and learn. And so that's one of the things on my energy list is growing so it's creating sharing and growing i have three things that that i if i look at my day every day if i'm doing that then i'm full of energy to be my best for everyone else my family my friends my co-coworkers everyone so uh, growing is a huge huge part of what i do
1: how have you grown since that 6 years ago when you first bought the team how have you personally grown
0: it's a great question <laughs> very naive if I were to look at six years ago and say, I believe we come in like, everything's going to go perfect. Like we got this great idea, all inclusive tickets. It's a show, it's a circus. We're going to do this. And then we only sold two tickets and then, you know, and then we had to sell our house. And I, I think if you look back to that, Jesse, it was very naive. Um, I think I have a broader view now of, and a much more long-term view. Like I'm, I truly believe we'll, th- we'll play in front of a million fans by 2030, which is more than any NFL team, NBA team, or NHL team. I believe we're going to play all over the world. I would have never been that naive. I was naive just thinking we'd be successful in Savannah. So now I have a bigger bigger vision, broader view, and I've realized the value so much more of talent and surrounding yourself with unbelievably talented people that know so much more than you do. And so I've really pushed the envelope on hiring a uh, my weaknesses in growing that way.
1: Naivete, do you think that's necessary to start something that
0: no. yes yeah. oh 100 percent. If you worked in the sports industry, it'll be very tough to get a job with us. If you have experience working for a baseball team, it'll be very when people say, "Oh, I love baseball, I'm, I'm big into baseball that's a, that's like a red flag for us. Like we want people that are completely out of this industry without any bias. I mean, our breakdancing coach, the first time he went out to coach first, we weren't even up to bat. We were in the field. He ran out in the wrong inning. I said, this is perfect. You have no idea what you're doing. This is exactly where you need to be. We had a magician here at tryouts. He's never been a magician at a sporting event. He had no idea when to go out. It was perfect, but he'll bring a different influence. And I think, you know, we talk about obviously inclusion and diversity. I talk about diversity in a whole different way, diversity outside of your industry. And so, yeah. I, I want to know people. I mean, our director of entertainment was at the Florida state flying circus uh, this fall, trying to find people to bring on our show. Like, that's amazing. I mean, we have, like I said, princess Potassia. She doesn't know anything about baseball, but she's a tremendous singer and she plays an amazing princess. Perfect for our cast.
1: So that's a sense of how you hire. What do you do to fire? What, what, what would get someone fired in your organization?
0: This is interesting. We haven't fired. Hmm. People self-select out very few. I think we have about one a year that self-selects out. Um, yeah. Our hiring process is over three months long. We're very Marie, our fans first director who started with us as a 22 year old right out of college. She knows fans first. She knows what we're about. So, I mean, obviously you can look at firing. I mean, there's the obvious reasons that some people are stealing, cheating, doing all that wrong immoral things but you won't get, you won't get a job if you would even consider that stuff. So yeah. I, I, there might be a point where we have to fire, but it's nice when someone comes to us and what's crazy, they give us six months notice or more. It's crazy where the people that leave, they, they, they believe so much in this culture that they want to make sure they find a replacement and get the team in a great spot before leaving. That happens. Our last two people have left, have given more than six months notice. And actually two of the three that have left, they, they stayed with us remote to still work with us.
1: You mentioned culture. How would you define the culture in your organization?
0: Fans First is the name of our company, Fans First Entertainment. Our mission is fans first, entertain always. But our biggest fans are our own people. When something great happens, they call their parents. They call their spouses. They call their significant other. They get the merchandise before it comes out. So if I were to describe our culture, I think it would be, Fans first slash people first. Our people put their best friends. It's funny that we work all day. And then all of a sudden I see all these Instagram stories. They're all out all together all night. Like usually people, it's like, hey, work's done. I'm going home. I need a break from my my co-workers. They're the opposite. Like it scares me sometimes because they spend so much time together. All of them. There's no like clicks. And we're up to 26 full-time people. They all hang out together it's wild. So I think it's, it's, they put each other first and they have fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to walk in. Uh, Kara, our marketing director, she would say good vibes. It's just always good vibes here.
1: It's interesting because I love that you took fans first and then put that into your people, because that was one of my questions as I was preparing for this is it's clear that with the Savannah bananas, you have thought about entertaining your fans. And we want to create an experience that they can't get anywhere else. And it's really cool and it's unique. And that's why we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked to that many people that are in your world as far as baseball goes. I've talked to people in major league baseball, but um, you do stand out. And so what I've also found when I coach executives in the corporate world is oftentimes they struggle. I'll just use this as an example. They'll have a salesperson. And that salesperson is really focused on their clients or their customers. And they promote that person to a sales manager. And all of a sudden the manager isn't an individual contributor anymore. Now they're leading a team and they have to think about the company and they have to think about hiring or they have to think about training or whatever the word is that you want to choose. For you all, how do you focus on the fans entertainment and make sure that your people are also being taken care of?
0: So it's a two-part. That's a good question. I read in Ride of a Lifetime, Bob Iger, he said there was a culture problem in Disney when he took over. And he said, the first thing we wanted to do, he realized that our people didn't, didn't feel as proud about the company as they used to. They didn't have any hit movies anymore. And so that's when he you know looked at acquiring Pixar and Marvel and Lucasfilms. He said, we had to create products that our people would be proud of. He goes, that's one of the big first things you want to do. And so once he created started creating better movies, better products, better experiences, people became more proud of it. So I think first you got to create something like, you know, Bert Kreishner showed up at tryouts yesterday. Like, you know, we have people got media, you know, we're fortunate ESPN's doing a TV show on us, like all these things are happening. So the teammates feel really proud of what they're a part of and every day it's what's the recognition that you get. So every day people are writing on social media. We're very fortunate. And sending messages, I love you guys so much. I'm a fan from here. I've never been to a game. We're selling hundreds of merchandise all over the world. We call every person that buys merchandise from us and thank them. We call every person that buys a ticket and thank them. So all of our teammates are talking to our fans and realizing, wow, you guys get to do something pretty special. I was told today from Marie, our fans first director, that we have over a thousand people on our wait list to work for us. Interns full-time, a thousand. She's at 1,070 was what it was this morning. And I'm like, that's crazy. So I think it starts by... You know, doing something that your people are proud of, that your customers and fans love. That's the start. And then if you want your people to deliver great experiences to your customers, you have to deliver great experiences to them. My wife is the heart of this company. She's not here all the time because she's helping raise three kids. Uh, But what she does is 1% of our top-line budget goes to surprise and delight our people. We just send Patrick to the waste management. He loves golf. He's been with us since day one, 16th hole, best seats there. He saw the hole in one. Um, we sent Kurt to go huge Duke fan, never been to Cameron, great seats, Cameron crazies. we sent people to go VIP concerts. We sent Marie to go to Ireland on a bucket list trip with her dad. We do cruises with our team. We took everyone to Disney with their spouses, and and others, you know, before Christmas, we rented out a party bus and took everyone to the outlets and gave everyone $500 and said, get whatever you want and shop. We've turned the whole office into a spa and had massages and pedicures and manicures and facials and all that stuff. All those little things matter. It adds up. So I think that's, that's part of what we try to do.
1: Really cool. I love that you use the word proud. I once worked with a college athlete and he said to me, Brian, confidence is believing in myself. Cockiness is believing I'm better than the other person and pride is believing I'm part of something bigger than myself. Um, And I'm fortunate I get to work with smart people. So they teach me and uh, his name, his name was uh, uh, Kevin and he's just just brilliant guy. But um, it's interesting as I'm hearing you talk, I hear someone who's interested in developing and leading. I hear someone who cares about the culture, but a lot of my research around you was that you love being an entertainer and you love being um creating ideas you used the word creator earlier i i you know the idea of being a creator as you think about hiring going forward and you continue to bring on new people you said i need to continue to surround myself with smart people who can help me with some of my weaknesses what is your biggest strength as you think about those different roles that you play where do you where do you thrive um with your role
0: This took me a a long time to kind of figure out, but five years ago, when I started changing my mornings, started coming up with ideas. It's crazy, but I guarantee there's not one owner in the world that spends more time on ideas than I do. Every single morning, I'm doing 10 ideas. And a lot of mornings I do 10 to 20 to 30 ideas. And so I believe what happens to most sports teams, companies, is that they become irrelevant at some point. My biggest fear is that irrelevancy. Um, I'm getting emails. I'm on the Harlem Globetrotters email chain. I get emails, buy one, get one free tickets, buy one, get one free tickets, buy one, get one free tickets. And I'm like, man, they were everything. They were everything in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And so I have that fear of becoming irrelevant. The only way to do that in my mind is to continue to come up with ideas and put a huge focus on your company on coming up with ideas so as the owner of a company if i'm spending an hour to two hour on coming up with ideas then getting with our team and creating more ideas so right before this i actually had a call with our band director and we had ideas so i talked about 10 ideas for him having the entire band coach first. So 10 people on the band coaching first. You know, I had the whole band ideas. As soon as we score the first run, the band rushes out to home plate and plays all I do is win while we're all celebrating. Put your hands up. And then, you know, all these ideas we shared. And that's what keeps us moving forward because the ideas drive our innovation, the innovation that continues to drive the company and drive new fans. What are you doing to invent on behalf of your fans? And so for me, it's, it's always gonna be ideas. I mean, right now you can see, I mean, this was 2021 ideas. This is my new idea book for 2022 and that's, it's always on me. And, and I, that's where I'll spend my time.
1: It's so interesting. I think I'm an idea guy and I don't always run into idea people um and it doesn't mean they don't have ideas but i don't think they get off on creating ideas i do like i i love creating ideas and i find it difficult whenever i share an idea to find people that are able to support me and i mean that not in like oh that's a brilliant idea but support me in helping me flush the idea out. And all right, let's, let's play with it a little bit. I find most people, when I share an idea, will come up with all the reasons why it won't work, which is valuable. Yes. It's not, not, not valuable, but I find it very rare that someone says, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's play with it. Yeah. Can I, can I help the, you on this? Yeah, so the same in.
0: thing. I'm in the same spot as you. Alan Fadden, who wrote the book, Innovation on Demand, brilliant guy, hilarious. Um, I heard him speak when I was 23 years old. It was fascinating. He told me about how he, how he sold this book. He, he bought a retail shop and created the one book bookstore for his own book and it got tons of attention. Brilliant guy. He developed the care assessment. He, there's four different types of people. You have creators, you have advancers, you have refiners, you have executors. The worst thing a creator can do is talk to a refiner first. I, my whole life, have been talking to re- my wife's a refiner. I talk to him first, creator needs to go to an advancer. And when a creator talks to an advancer, advancer will help build an idea up. Then it can go to a refiner. And then the refiner comes back with all these reasons why it doesn't work. Then that can go to the creator, back to the creator, because creators find ways to get over those ideas. Then back to the advancer and eventually the executor answer. We did this assessment with our whole team. It's me and one other person that are the only like thoroughbred creators. And what I realized was a lot of time I would go to people with ideas that were refiners and it is debilitating for a Painful, creator. painful. It hurts because you have this, and but you need those people. Refiners actually help refine an idea and make it better, but you can't directly go to them right away. You need to help it advance or get it towards it so a refiner can see the possibility before breaking it down. That has been a game changer for our organization. So I'm very intentional on who I share ideas with and when I do. I hired, back to hiring our weaknesses, Zach, our director of entertainment, is a thoroughbred advancer. You better believe we make a heck of a team of an idea. And he's actually an advancer executor. He's got a wing of an executor. So he can actually advance an idea and execute it and make it happen. That's when our entertainment took a whole nother level this past year was when we teamed up.
1: I've never heard of that. I'm checking that out because its it's been a painful experience when I come up with these ideas. And... Many of the ideas I've then gone and done and they've been quote unquote successful, but other people are really quick to refine. I think that's, yeah. that's spot on. Partnership, so you mentioned your wife is involved um, and then you talk about partnering with other people that might see the world a little differently from you, even diversity, you used that word earlier. How do you think about great partnership? What, what are the principles or what's underneath great partnership, uh, whether it's with your wife or with people in your business? Um, how do you think about successful partnership?
0: Still working on that one. Good question, but still working on that one. With my wife and I, when we first started this, we had challenges with any husband, wife working together. And it was very simple. I went in her lane all the time. She was in charge of either sponsorship or she was in charge of hiring or merchandise. And I come, and what if we do this? Come on, and what if we do this? What if we do this? It wasn't until we stayed in each other's lanes and waited if they had questions that we started working really well together. I think that's a key in partnership. I think once you have too many cooks in the kitchen, you can have challenges. Jared's our president and we are completely different people. He is, I'm an Enneagram three, seven, he's an Enneagram one. Everything has to be done the exact right way. I'm a promoter at heart. So me getting excited and overemphasizing something goes against a one. But what we realized when we read the book, Rocket Fuel, I'm 100% a visionary, he's 100% an integrator. If you wanna get things done, you need an integrator, an integrator needs a visionary, it needs to go back and forth. A lot of times if I had him trying to come up with a vision for idea, it doesn't work. And if I try to integrate, I am the worst executor operationally in so many ways. So I think it has to be very clear on roles and also very clear on offsetting each other's weaknesses. And that's that's what we're working on. And Jared and I still work hard every day. We have We have challenges. My wife and I still have challenges but it's a clear this is your role and how are you going to do it. And a lot of times we try to just do so many things that we do it half-assed. And that's what happens. You know, I come up with ideas. I help as the creative visionary of this company. I don't need to be executing things. It's just not not what I'm good at.
1: It's not lost on me that we started talking about, "Oh, I was a baseball player. I was going to go play professional baseball. I tore my rotator rotator cuff. And then since then, we've really talked about operations. And it could have been any business that we're really talking about. But you happen to be in the business of entertainment, yes. And baseball. And you said, Hey, we've we've won, like we've had success as a baseball team. And for those that don't know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your league, you bring in often college athletes to play in the summer when they're not playing for their college baseball team, um, and then they'll play there for a few months, and then they'll they'll go there they'll go back to school or maybe they'll go to the bigs or whatever it is. Do you think about that idea of different roles and diversity when you're also putting together a roster? Are, are you thinking about? Those types of roles, or what goes into the roster construction that your general manager thinks about, other than obvious positions and talent and all that other stuff.
0: Good question. And actually, what you said general manager, maybe laugh because we uh, we don't have any managers on our staff at all. Um, even our head coach is never called a manager. We don't believe people uh, want to be managed; they want to be led. So we're very intentional in all of our titles. We don't have training. Dogs are trained. Humans are coached. They're mentored. They're educated. So we're very intentional. So we don't make GMs. We don't have a general manager. Uh, We have a president, we have our head coach, we have a vice president. So in regards to our roster, so we started as a college summer team. Now we have a professional team and that's our work playing banana ball. That's what's doing our tour. Our college summer team was very hard to recruit in the beginning because we were brand new. No one knew who we are. Now we've got about 1500 players that reach out every year to play for us. And so our head coach is very intentional on looking at, are you fans first? Do you understand the entertainment level of what we're trying to do? Are you all about yourself? We don't attract the most talented baseball players. We attract the most talented and entertaining players. Now with the pro team, I'm a lot more involved because this is our tour team that's traveling all over the country. And I'm very intentional. So like I convinced the coaching staff last year to, to let us bring on a guy that could hit on stilts he wasn't the best player at the tryout he really couldn't but he could hit on stilts it's like this guy is playing for us you know when we have when we have a guy that's an amazing baseball juggler can do bat flips and all that stuff like i will be intentional because i see him as a part of the show that can entertain the fans haven't seen before but yeah everyone plays a role in our show the globe trotters traveled with 30 people on the road we travel with 110 So we're almost four times the cast of the Globetrotters, the male cheerleading team, the banana band, the break dancing coaches, the magician, the dancing umpires. We bring everyone. And so you all have to have a role of how you're going to add to the show, to the fans. And that's especially with the players and the coaches. I mean, we're introducing the first ever second base coach this year. So we're going to have a guy coaching second being outrageous. Uh, Eric Burns has plans on what he's going to do. He might pinch hit himself in the middle of a bat. Uh, He's like, time, time. I'm coming in to hit and takes off the guy's gloves and helmet and goes and hits. So they're all playing a role in the show. And I think that's, what's exciting because every show is completely different.
1: So talk to us about banana ball and, and taking this professional and taking the show on the road. What is it going to look like? What's it sound like? Well, if we were ignorant to it, tell us a little bit about the, the vision behind that.
0: Sure. Banana ball is a four year test. Now, the starting point for all innovation for us is what are the friction points in the customer experience and do the exact opposite. People get a nickel and dime at a ballpark what was a friction points. Why in Savannah, everything is all inclusive. We can't do that on the road because the venues don't know how to do it. <laughs> but in regards to baseball being slow and boring, having the nonstop entertainment, try to do that. But baseball being long and slow is something we've been watching. Even with every game selling out in Savannah, fans still leave games early. So we started taking videotapes and pictures of our crowds every 30 minutes. We started noticing fans leaving 9, 9.15, 9.30, every single night. So we said, well, we need to have a two-hour game. So we tested it in 2018, a two-hour time game. Looked at every boring part of baseball. Walks. Are you kidding me? In a baseball game? Athletic? Now time to walk. We eliminated that, turned it into a sprint. That's a whole other thing. Bunting. Swing the bat when you come on to bat. We eliminated bunting. Batters can steal first. No mound visits. Uh, You know, if you step out of the box, it's a strike. Let's keep the ball moving or keep the play moving. And if a fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. So basically we test all this front of our fans. 95% of our fans would stay till the end of the game. The response was outstanding. Uh, They would watch as we could have a walk-off every inning because basically every inning counts. If the home team wins the inning, inning over. So it's a celebration Gatorade shower in the second inning. Crazy. So fans loved it. And so then we did a one city world tour test last year, sold 7,000 tickets in Mobile, sold out. A lot of things went wrong but it sold out. So now we expanded it 10 times. So instead of 7,000, we're playing in front of 70,000. And crazily, every single night has already sold out uh, weeks and months in advance, except two games, which hopefully should sell out soon.
1: And this is you're playing against yourselves?
0: Party animals. Yeah. So think think Globetrotters, Washington Generals, except the Bananas lost two of the four games last year. It's a real game, competitive game. You never know who's going to win. We just control the entertainment around it.
1: And I know you, you're you big on visioning. I mentioned dreams earlier uh, and that you're a dreamer. You put out a vision for 2025 and a video. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we care about. Go beyond that for me. What, do, you, do you think beyond that, like 2035, uh, what do you think you're going to be up to? What are the Savannah bananas up to?
0: <laughs> Sometimes you get in trouble doing that. I, I, someone shared me a video from, I think, 2010. It was like, you know, we'll have we'll have an empire of teams. And I said all that. And now I purposely sold all the teams so we could focus on this one team. So you you know, I think it's good to dream. And I think some people dream about being millionaires in dollars. We don't talk about money. We don't talk about revenue. We don't talk about sales. We talk about fans. I believe in 2030, we'll play in front of a million fans a year which will be more than an NFL team, NBA team, or an NHL team. To see the Savannah Bananas playing in front of more fans than the Dallas Cowboys is crazy, but I believe it will happen. I believe by 2026, we'll sell at Fenway Park, uh, the ballpark that I was a bat boy for when I was five years old and the ballpark that I got to pitch at when I was 20 years old in an All-Star game. I believe my dad will be on that field, and that will make me more proud than anything. After 2030, 2035, we'll look at unique challenges. What are ballparks? What are places that we can play? That lost baseball. They never thought they could have baseball. How could we do things all over the world to bring banana ball, a fun, more exciting game of baseball to more people? Do I believe kids are going to be playing banana ball? Do I believe uh, people will have a choice between going to minor league baseball or being a banana baller? Yes. And I think some are going to choose banana ball. I think it's going to be something that uh, kids aspire to be because it's where the game is fun. And I think that's what we need.
1: What would get in the way of all of that?
0: I don't like, I don't like, look, I don't think that way. It's funny. I, when I get asked the question, what are your biggest failures? We've done lots of things that haven't worked, but it all leads us to what will work. And so to think what will get in the way, you know, you could go into all negative thinking there, but I don't let myself go there. I think the only thing that would, would change anything is time. It's patience. It might take longer, which is okay. You know, I'm not, you know I'm, I'm not focused on the next quarter. I'm focused on the next quarter century. And so that's that's the difference.
1: Last week I was working with an entrepreneur in the tech world and he said, Brian, I'm not an inventor, but I'm really good at taking an idea and then innovating off of it. Um, are you someone who you you think of yourself as an inventor or do you think of yourself as an innovator if those are the distinctions there?
0: Innovator, innovator. You know, David, Yovac, David Novak, who I've become close with, the former CEO of Young Brands, he told me very kindly that you're one of the best parallel thinkers that I've seen. And I guess that makes sense. I look for something in another industry or another field and say, how can we make it work in our industry? And so I'm constantly, that's where I get inspiration. I was the guy that, I wasn't great at school. I found a way to be good at school because I would look at the examples on the page before the textbook and say, all right, this is how you do it. Then do it like that. And this is always having to find the examples and then make it your own.
1: And how much of of the way you've approached running this business do you think is applicable to that tech CEO or the person running uh, a small business. Do you think a lot of what you are doing um, with your employees and how you said, "Hey, we give one percent of our revenue and we create these special experiences for them," whether it's going to Cameron or it's going to a golf tournament? How much of your culture and what you are doing do you think is applicable to most uh, businesses? <laughs>
0: when we first started, I didn't think any of it was applicable. But then I kept getting asked to speak, and I, you know, I got asked to write a book, and then now my second book and. Unfortunately, I, I, I think it's wild when my speaking coordinator hears from someone its a billion dollar company and they want to hear from this crazy guy in a yellow tuxedo. So as I've given hundreds of keynotes and the response has been better than I ever imagined in front of industries that I never would expect I'd speak in front of, like there's no reason I should speak in front of manufacturing companies and so, but they asked me to speak and they find applicable. The biggest thing that I've learned in the newest book coming out is the five E's to create raving fans, eliminate friction, entertain always, experiment constantly, engage deeply and empower action. And I believe if you follow those five E's, even just do one of them, you will create raving fans, which then takes care of your business and the success. And I found that be applicable no matter what business you do.
1: Why speak? Why not just run the business? Um, Why write a book? Like, why not just run the business? What is exciting for you about keynoting and what's exciting for you about writing, writing a book?
0: Follow my energy. Again, you do what gives you energy. And my energy list is sharing, creating, and growing. If I'm writing a book, I'm sharing, I'm creating, and I'm growing. If I'm speaking, I'm sharing, I'm creating, and I'm growing. I'm hitting the trifecta. And nothing fires me up and being able to inspire people and share what we do. So again, when you follow your energy, new opportunities come out. And those lead to more opportunities. And I will choose those opportunities even if it seems crazy to be writing a book and speaking in the midst of running a tour and training with a team and being a foster parent and having three kids and a wife and all that, it, it gives me energy. And because I write a book, because I speak, because I run our business, I'm better for my wife. I'm better for my kids and I'm better for my friends. And I believe that hundred percent.
1: You mentioned red tape being the reason why the Red Sox would be a no for you. I would imagine that saps your energy is red tape. Um, yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> it, what else? What else takes away energy from you?
0: Negativity to an extent, people saying no, uh, saying you can't, you know, when I have a big idea or I think a big idea and all of a sudden I'm ready to do something and it's like, we can't do that. And so that's when I look at anything in major league baseball, I just see that happening all day long. And so negativity, I think surround yourself with people that lift you up. And if you want, if you want to be lift up, lift others up. And so when you show up, what are you bringing? I try to bring fun, bring energy and bring positivity. So I thrive when I'm around those people. Anybody that's trying to bring negativity, that that definitely uh, zaps it for me.
1: And it's a great place for us to close. Jesse, if people want to learn more about Banana Ball or Savannah Bananas or your new book, or you as a speaker, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: <laughs> I'm easy to find. You search Yellow Tux, you'll find me. I'm easy to find. Spend a lot of my time on LinkedIn and the bananas were everywhere. So uh, and just search Savannah Bananas and see what we're doing with everything.
1: Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and LinkedIn as well as where I like to play at Brian Levinson. Jesse, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed learning from you, getting to know you. It's pretty amazing what you are building. And I say building instead of built. And I can't wait to see where you go in 2025, 2035 and, and beyond. So thanks for all that you continue to do to make our world a little more fun and a little more entertaining. And I appreciate you. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Brian. A lot of fun, my friend.
0: Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. It starts by, you know, doing something that your people are proud of, that your customers and fans love. That's the start. And then, if you want your people to deliver great experiences to your customers, you have to deliver great experiences to them. My wife is the heart of this company. She's not here all the time because she's helping raise three kids, Uh, but what she does is... 1% 1% of our top line budget goes to surprise and delight our people. We just sent Patrick to the Waste Management. He loves golf, he's been with us since day one. 16th hole, best seats there, he saw the hole in one. Um, we sent Kurt to go, huge Duke fan, never been to Cameron. Great seats, Cameron crazies. We sent people to go VIP concerts. We sent Marie to go to Ireland on a bucket list trip with her dad. We do cruises with our team. We took everyone to Disney with their spouses. We've been with others. You know, before Christmas, we rented out a party bus and took everyone to the outlets and gave everyone $500 to get whatever you want and shop. We've turned the whole office into a spa and had massages and pedicures and manicures and facials and all that stuff. All those little things matter. It adds up.